Hi, I'm Steven, the host of Let's Go There. And I created this podcast because many of today's most critical issues are so filled with tension and polarization that most of us avoid them altogether. The result is that we miss out on opportunities for meaningful connection and progress, while the world's most pressing conversations are being carried by those least effectively having them. On this podcast, we take on tough conversations from a Christian perspective with nuance and respect so we can learn well, love well, and leave better. Because when we talk about tough issues with humility, we grow together. Hey everyone, how's it going? Thank you for joining us for another episode of Let's Go There. And I'm really excited for our conversation today because today I am joined by Ben Pontius. And Ben is somebody that I've known ever since growing up together, going to church here in Moorhead at Salem Evangelical Free. We grew up going to to church together. And uh, back then we used to call him Pontius Ben. But uh, um, Ben and I had a conversation that was really interesting a few weeks ago. And I asked Ben if he'd be willing to kind of pick that conversation back up and, and have it on the podcast because I just... I found it to be a fascinating kind of conversation or thing to, to ponder and to think through and to work through. Um, and before we jump into that, I just want to give you guys a little context for Ben and who Ben is. And so Ben started or helped start a couple of different organizations that are inactive in ministry that now I said they're in, and then I said active in ministry, but it sounded like I said inactive in ministry, <laughs> but they're not inactive. They're active in ministry. Very much so. so. Um, um, so Ben, tell us a little bit about Threshing Floor Communities yeah. and also the work you guys are doing over at Elementum. Yeah. So um, we started it's 10 years ago now, actually, but as of this month, um, Threshing Floor Communities, which initially started um, with a group of people I was connected with at uh, Minnesota State University, Moorhead, here in Moorhead, Minnesota, and um, was primarily a college-age young adult ministry, small missional community model, um, just wanted to see people come to know Jesus and those who already knew him go deeper in their faith. Um, about two years ago now, a um, year and a half ago, we relaunched that as a network of micro churches or missional community churches. So still primarily young adults, we, but we don't, in general, we don't meet on Sunday mornings. Uh, we're meeting in groups of 10 to 20, which has actually been pretty ideal during the, right. the coronavirus right. world. Um, you saw so- it coming, bro. Is this we, a prophetic movement? I don't know. Okay, all right. <laughs> I would hope so in some ways. <laughs> Maybe not for the coronavirus purposes. But, yeah, so, so I've been doing that for 10 years. And alongside that, um, I was also very connected with a uh, ministry that started about the same time I moved to the Moorhead area. It had a different name then, but several years ago got renamed to Elementum, um, which Elementum is all about supporting churches and reaching young adults. Um, so whatever, whether that looks like start, starting a young adult ministry or a college ministry, um, or just getting some resources in people's hands, helping them understand the needs and the uniquenesses of uh, Gen Z um, and other, you know, coming generations. Generation Z is the one that's kind of moving into the college young adult age right now. So there's lots of conversation around that. So I work locally with Threshing Floor Communities here. Um, I get to lead that. And then my role with Elementum is the regional director here in the Midwest. So I work with our partner ministries and churches around the Midwest and some stuff around the country as well. So that's that's what takes up my my day job and my night job and all the other things. 
<laughs> That's awesome. Well, I'm excited to jump into this conversation, but uh, some of you may be listening and uh, maybe you'll even want to connect with Ben and learn more about what he's doing over there at Elementum or at Threshing Floor. Um, you know, feel free to reach out to me. I'm happy to get you connected. Uh, but our initial conversation and the topic of this, as you saw by the title, is we're going to be talking about the church and politics, the church and politics. And we had this conversation initially several weeks ago, and I just asked Ben, hey, can we pick this back up on the podcast? Because I loved just the, the, just the interesting nature of where it was going. Um, but initially, the reason why I reached out to you to talk in the first place was just that I got thinking off of a, a, a post on Facebook that you didn't, you didn't write, but it, you shared. It was just a, kind of one of those viral posts going around. You don't know the, the author. Um, but I'm going to share a little context for uh, those listening of kind of the, what started this conversation. And then we'll just kind of pick up, react yeah. to that and, and go from there. And so um, there's this gentleman, I know very little about him. His name is Ben Kramer and he uh, is a pastor. I think, it, I believe it was in Idaho. looks like it's a church of the Nazarene. looks like yeah. he's got a couple of the theology degrees from Nazarene universities. Um, I didn't even look at any of this context until today. So when we first had our conversation, I didn't even bother with that. But just to give you guys some context, yeah. he wrote uh, back in July, he wrote this interesting, what he calls a letter of lament to evangelicalism. So it's not pointed at any specific individuals um, or generations or, or denominations or groups. It's just, he, he considers it to be a letter to evangelicals, evangelicalism. And, uh, this is what he had to say. Evangelicalism, the way you taught my generation to live is sadly not what you've been living out. You taught us to pursue the kingdom of God first, yet you so often pursue America first. You taught us to proclaim Christ as Lord of all, but when it comes to talk of real power, all we hear you talking about is presidents. You taught us about purity and respect, yet get mad when we call out political leaders for their unwholesome remarks about women and people of color. You taught us that violence isn't the way to solve our problems and to love our enemies, yet you seem so preoccupied with war and the right to bear arms. You taught us to spread the gospel, yet so much of what we hear from you is the spreading of political ideologies. You taught us to welcome the stranger as a friend and to help those in need, yet you talk so disparagingly about immigrants, refugees, and those in need of welfare. You taught us to repent, yet when we want to repent from racism, jingoism, and nationalism, you treat us as if we are just politically misguided rather than gospel determined. You taught us that all life is sacred, yet talk as if it only applies to the unborn. We care about the unborn too, but we also care about all the other ways human life exists and is cared for, even the earth itself, its climate, its animals, and its future. You told us relationship was the way of the gospel and it had nothing to do with works or legalism, yet we hear so much talk about working to get the right people in political power and to shape the legal system in favor of what we value. You taught us to worship God alone and see scripture as our primary authority, yet you act as though this country and its constitution is on their same level. You called my generation lazy, entitled, and shame us for leaving the church. While some of your criticisms are accurate, some not, we feel like you've abandoned so much of what you taught us, become lazy as the church and entitled over political power. Maybe there's less and less room for my generation in evangelicalism because there's more of a desire to be a Christian nation than there is to be a Christian church. We want to be the church more than anything. So that was really kind of power packed there. He's um, really wrote it in the sense of being a lament of 
something he feels is going on and has been going on in the church. That's the reason why a lot of people of his generation, which just to bring a little clarity to that, he, I think he seems to be about in his mid thirties, maybe yeah. um, are leaving or have left the church. And he ties it to this idea that maybe these, that people are looking at the church, um, but they're seeing such close ties to politics and specifically yeah. political conservatism that they're disenfranchised by that. And that's part of the reason they're leaving the church. And so um, just want to kind of start off by just getting your thoughts and, and really asking the question, like what's going on in with the church and politics with the church and, and being really tied closely with conservatism and, and kind of um, what do we do from here? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's interesting that the post I shared, I think because what resonated with me um, was the fact that like some of the stuff he's saying, pointing out the the inconsistencies within the church is definitely something that as an individual, I feel. Um, and I think it's probably even as much, if not more than that, I think it's, it resonates with the conversations I have with a lot of people who are, you know, millennials and other younger generations, um, both locally here in Fargo, people within threshing floor communities, and then um, less frequently, just be, because I don't have these conversations as much, but still it feels like equally as prevalent um, within my generation. I'm 32. Um, and so it's probably similar age to, to this guy from based on his picture and stuff. But I think that that resonates with me. Um, the, that like disparity between here's what is preached versus here's what is taught. Um, something that that's, that's part of what resonated with me on that. And I think, the challenge is that we have had a church, at least based on the general conception of our culture um, and the general messaging that takes place, the church as, a, as an entity is seen as in bed with, um, or whatever language you want to use there, with the conservative um, political party. And interestingly, you know, uh, the Rep Republican National Convention wrapped up not too long ago. And if you read the, the last couple lines of Mike Pence's speech, it's pretty, it's a fascinating look at it's a, it. It is exactly what this Facebook post is talking about. So here, let, let me, I pulled it up here just because as you were reading through oh, sure. that, it made me think of this. So this, so this is what Mike Pence said. And I don't know a ton about Mike Pence. I'm not an expert in politics at all. Um, but this is something I've, you know, politics are all around us in the world that we're in. So this, but this is what he said. So he said, concluding his speech at the RNC, he said, so let's run the race marked out for us. Let's fix our eyes on old glory and all she represents. Let's fix our eyes on this land of heroes and let their courage inspire. And let's fix our eyes on the author and perfecter of our faith and our freedom and never forget that where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. That means freedom always wins, which is a fascinating, I think that statement, regardless of whether or not that, the and I've seen plenty of stuff on social media elsewhere where people being like, "Hold on, Mike Pence, you are you're taking Jesus out of the statement and replacing it with America um, or freedom or whatever." You know, use a couple different phrases there. But I think that that's an example of what um, the outcry <laughs> is. Though I, it's interesting because I would not necessarily say that that is the primary reason that young adults are leaving the church or leaving evangelical. I think that I think that may be one factor, but that's a whole nother um, that's a whole nother topic. 
that's maybe another topic we'll have to get into on another day. Yeah. <laughs> but that really is fascinating. I had not heard that at the end of Mike Pence's speech at the Republican National Convention, but I, it's really striking when you hear yeah. it. I mean, it is very transparently trying to appeal directly yeah. to evangelicals or to Christians in or, general, or Christians, yeah, right? Least, to Christians, yeah. right? And I think that there's a lot that you can see that that actually President Trump and Pence and his campaign, you can see a lot of patterns of places where mm-hmm. they're very specifically targeting, hey, we are the voice for the Christians. We are yeah. the camp the campaign of choice for the Christians. You know, I remember back during his campaign, there was the whole like to Timothy or like the Bible is my favorite book after my own mm-hmm. book, you know, some of those yeah. things, but <laughs> so um, face palm moments. <laughs> right. <laughs> but um, it's, it is this interesting component that I think what I think that he brought to light that I think is worth highlighting because I mean, and, and to be fair, there was some more context to that post. Mm-hmm. I read the key part, like, I don't want anybody to, to, to get the wrong idea that he's just coming out super hard and just like yeah. trying to crush conservatism. I think what he's, I think the reason why that post that's about the church and politics focuses on these conservative ideas that um, the church has taken on isn't because the, um, isn't because that Christian values equate with liberal values by any means or that there aren't some conservative values that probably do align with Christian values. But the reality is that there isn't this widespread national perception that evangelicals are, you know, coming out in droves supporting the liberal party, right there. Instead that association is with conservatism. So Mm -hmm. that's where you potentially have the issue where maybe some people, uh, or some churches even, or some church leaders have allowed that political identity and that political association to potentially subvert or to come first before kind of a kingdom identity. Yeah. And I think that there's a, there's, to me, I think there's one threat and I think there's one missed opportunity just from this whole general conflation of evangelicalism is conservatism, right? I think that there's a the threat that's there is really what he's kind of getting at, I think, which is yeah. that could be a massive turnoff for people that we're trying to reach. I do think that millennials kind of have as their trademark authenticity, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> like to the point where it's cliche and and can be kind of tiresome. But I do think that this generation really values authenticity. And so when they see that the things that the church professes to be about don't seem to align and to match up with some of the things Mm -hmm. that they're, that church members or people that they see as Christians or people who self-identify as Christians are out there publicly proclaiming and and going to bat for and really um, getting passionate about uh, whether it be on social media or, or, or elsewhere, they see that disconnect and it, it makes Christianity unattractive to them because they yeah. don't see it as something that people are genuinely participating in. They, they see it as something that, you know, the ideas behind it, maybe they could connect with, but 
they don't see those values potentially being lived out. Mm-hmm. So I think that's where the threat is. And I think there's also a missed opportunity. I think the missed opportunity is that if the church as a whole in our country were to do an excellent job at separating itself from the current political system in the sense of the two party system and just embracing what is what is kingdom ideology what is what is biblical ideology what does the word of god say about how we should think about how other people are treated about how we should think about you know how we how yeah you name it right if that was filtered through just the kingdom then actually i think that that would present an opportunity for the church to cause a lot of good a lot of kingdom principles to be enacted in our country just because of politicians would be forced to recognize the influence of the church and the vote and just the voter Mm -hmm. base of christianity and and to take that into account as they're forming how they're going to respond to things but i think that opportunity is missed when it just defaults into this political category yeah yeah, I mean, there's there's so many things at play in, I mean, so we're recording this um, September, so not too long until the presidential election. So this is a particularly pressing topic. I think the question of what does it look like to for the church to engage in politics? Should the church engage in politics? What does it look like for a Christian to do that well, because I think we need to make a distinction there between the between the church as an organization, as an entity, um, whether you be you know, big C church nationally, internationally, or whether you're talking about individual churches sure, yeah. versus an individual's responsibility. Um, those are two very different conversations in my in my mind, at least. But one, and I think so. One of the challenges here um, is that the world that we live in has by and large, and I think the church has by and large bought into this um, unintentionally, is that um, politics are the an- is the answer to many of the world's ills. I think no Christian would actually articulate that. No pastor would articulate that. But functionally, that's the way we're talking, at least in a lot of cases where we're saying, if we have X person in X position of political authority, then we will get back to the good old days of whatever your good old days are. You know, everyone's got a different idea mm-hmm. of that. Um, so that, that's one of the challenges is that we're, I think that's the foundational like question that we need to ask ourselves is what, um, what's our hope and what are we ultimately prioritizing? Um, because if you don't answer that question, if you don't understand what your answer is to that question, you're not going to be able to answer the you know downstream questions from that. Like who should I vote for? How should the church mm-hmm. as a whole right. um, engage in politics and do that well and winsomely? Cause there's, right. We have this strange tension as Americans um, where we live in a, it's a democracy. So we have a responsibility as citizens of our country to vote and to influence politics. Whereas you look at most of the talk about politics biblically is under, you know, a monarchy or, uh, you know, the people in the church did not get much, if any say in who's in charge. Mm -hmm. So the verses in the new Testament where Paul's saying, you know, submit to rulers, he's talking about, you know, uh, Roman 
emperors who were quite literally having Christians killed at various points in time. And he's saying, hey, submit to those guys. They're put in their position by God, um, which rubs us so wrongly in America where we say we should submit and accept someone we think of as a terrible leader as our ruler um, because God put them there. It's like, you kind of want to throw your hands up and say, what the heck, God? You know, like if, <laughs> if this was really a Christian nation, we'd have good leaders. Right. Um, but you look at, say, Old Testament <laughs> Israel and the cycle of kings that are brought into power um, in First and Second Kings, and then even in Judges, it, you know, it kind of it's just this downhill spiral with uh, several exceptions that last for a short amount of time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think the the key thing, I think, the beginning place is for us as individuals to say, "Hey, we're." Like if let me, I'm going to rephrase this a little bit or step back and rephrase this a little bit. Um, if your emotions are significantly affected by political conversations um, and or by who is in office, like if your hope rises and falls based on who gets elected this year um, and you're going to be like, oh, no, America. Now this person got elected. America is heading downhill. Or the flip side of that, yes, this person got elected. America is headed back towards the way we should be. That's probably a sign that some of your hope is more in politics than it is in Jesus. That's different than being like, yes, this is the person I wanted to get elected. Um, and I'm glad about that because there's clearly there's positives and negatives on all sides. But I think that's one thing we got to watch out for is, is our hope individually and as a church as a whole, are we getting more excited and more anticipatory about certain political action than we are about the kingdom of God or Jesus um, and following him. Yeah, I think that's really good. I think that you touched on something that um, I think is just, I mean, I think it's such a key theme across Christian living, which is like so often the like base challenge that, that, or, or the base reason why something is off point is because we're putting our hope and our trust in the wrong thing. And I think it's really interesting. You brought up the the Kings in ancient Israel and the cycles of, you know, bad King judgment, repentance, good King, like they had good and bad Kings yeah. and all that. And what kind of, I think that kind of interestingly ties in with what you're saying about where people are putting their hope, because the reason why the ancient Israelites initial or why the Israelites initially got a king was because they started begging for a king to, to no. be their savior. They they asked the prophet, they asked the judge of their nation who was a spokesman for God, because up to that point they essentially were what you would consider a direct theocracy in, mm-hmm. in that like God was their ruler. He spoke through prophets or through judges. Um and and that was all they needed, but they were begging for a king because they, they'd seen what was happening in these other yep. nations where a king was leading them and look how powerful that king is and and they said we want a king we want a king to defend us we want a king to lead us we want a mm-hmm. king to kind of save us and, and, and protect us and um you know i don't remember all the exact details It'd be interesting to go back but i remember god god's reaction was something to the effect of like you don't need a king i'm supposed to be your king but i'm going to allow you to have a king yeah. I'm going to relent and allow you to have a king and you're going to pay the price for yeah, it. Yeah. And it's not going to be all, all awesome, you know, yeah. you know, but, but, but essentially God was saying like, 
your, your hope should be in me alone and that should be enough. Yeah. I'll let you have a king. And then what was the result in the end, you know, as they put their hope in kings so often that those kings did fail them. Uh, and I think how that ties into more of our modern context, which I think can be, is interesting is I think that getting our hope and our trust in the right place being in Jesus rather than in potentially our government leaders or our politicians mm -hmm. that might potentially reframe the way you look at the role of politics and the election. Well, it definitely will, yeah. but it might even reframe what you value in a political leader. Yeah. Because if you're seeking security, um, hope, yeah. security, protection, you know, confidence, peace. If you're seeking that from, if the right government leaders in charge, then I will get those things. Then you're probably unconsciously or not going to be looking through a lens of what is best for me. Yeah. What is best for my household? What is best for me, for my kids, for my family, for my lifestyle? What is going to protect my way of life? Mm -hmm. And so you might filter decisions through what you see as a threat to your comfort as a threat to your security yeah. as a threat like it's filtered through which politician will at the end of the day give you know end up with me having more of what i want or me feeling safe or me feeling empowered to to yeah. to be able to you know continue the lifestyle i'm used to whereas if your hope and your trust is in jesus and your security and your confidence and, and what gives you peace on earth is in Jesus, then you have the ability through that to look at an election and not go, what's best for me, but go, what's best for the kingdom? Yeah. And that's, that may sound weird because America is not the kingdom. That's not what I mean. <laughs> what I mean is you might be able to look and go, what's best for what the Bible says to prioritize, what's best for the widows and the orphans, what's best for the oppressed, the marginalized, what's best for um, everybody having a fair shot to see the value that they have, you know, like, yeah. You, yeah. and what's best for our country on a whole, what's best for everyone, right? Mm -hmm. And what's best for those who haven't had the opportunities that I've maybe had, like, you have the opportunity to kind of filter through mission right rather than protection yeah yeah that's going back to what i was saying earlier that the challenge in america is this strange place where we as citizens of our country are called to be engaged politically i, th I don't think it's i think it's an abdication of that responsibility to just disengage completely um, but also as citizens of the kingdom of heaven if you're a follower of christ we are called to say that this is the kingdom of heaven, kingdom of God is our primary allegiance. And we happen to be non-citizens or um, refugees is kind of the more biblical language in this country where we currently reside, which I think looking at politics of your country from that lens saying, I'm more like how we should interact with politics as individual Christians and as a church in our country is more like um, a refugee from Syria coming to America than it is like someone growing up in America. Um, that's something that's been in my mind for a while is what does it look like to look at our 
politics, our culture, you know, it's obsession with that from the view of an outsider. Because that's really what we're supposed to be as Christians. Mm-hmm. We're outsiders. We're citizens of another country who happened to live here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I think in another way to kind of look at that same, just to, to carry that same analogy is maybe, or, or, or much as a Syrian refugee in our country would view the politics of our country through a lens of a Syrian background, we as citizens of the kingdom of heaven should look at the politics of our country through the lens of a kingdom, a, yes. a kingdom yeah. of heaven background. Right. And so what does that mean? What do I say by that? Cause it is kind of this, potentially a little bit of a, a ethereal language for some mm. people who aren't deeply familiar with kind of what the nuances of what that might mean. But yeah. basically what that means is we're a part of God's project of what he's doing on earth that he mm-hmm. instituted with Jesus and that he will eventually bring to its completion in the new creation. But in the meantime, we are as, as the church, we get to be a part of that. He's invited us to be a part of that project of displaying pieces of his new creation within our broken world so that people can see, oh, this is what it's supposed to look like. This is what God created. This is the, this is the hope of Jesus shining through the brokenness, right? And so when I say being a citizen first of the kingdom of heaven, what that means is that your allegiance first is to God and the principles of scripture, of Jesus' teaching, of the epistles, of of, of the New Testament, of, you know, of of what we learn about the character of God throughout scripture. It's your allegiance is to what God is calling you as a, as a member of his church, as a Christian to be doing in this world. And and if politics can be one of the tools Mm -hmm. through which you do that, then I think we need to take that responsibility seriously, just like, you know, stewarding our finances or, or care how we care for our family. Like politics is one area in which we can use some of the influence we have to move forward initiatives that are, that, that show people the kingdom of God, which means it has to be filtered first and foremost through what is what is God doing in this world and what is God doing in our community? And, and then it can be applied and look at, okay, what does that mean and how it works in politics? Not filtered through, okay, what party do I affiliate with? Okay. And now, you know, how does, now how do I approach this issue because of my political ideology and, and how I see what's best for our country through that? Yeah, because I think a lot of the times what has happened in plenty of people's lives, or at least this is kind of the narrative that's out there, whether or not that's true. I can I can certainly think of people where this is true of them, um, where their first and primary lens, at least in this season, is a political lens, mm-hmm. uh, which here's the reality of that. And this is, you know, we don't have a ton of time to run down this road, right. but I think it's worth pointing, putting out there is that that's a very Marxist view of the world, where you're saying the the anthropology, what's most important about humans is our uh, relational, the way, the way we interact as humans is a transactional thing. Um, and the primary place that that transaction takes place is within the realm of politics. So therefore politics are the primary thing. Like that's, if you go, if you go back and look through Marxist philosophy, 
politics are the means of the revolution and salvation of the people, right? The, mm. You're going to rise up, overthrow the bourgeois and bring up the proletariat and have a great um, and powerful like society that where everyone's equal. Um, and the primary way people relate to each other, therefore, is through politics. Um, we look at people based on their political stance and where they fall in the political hierarchy or what, whatever you want to call it. Um, and again, I'm not an expert on Marxism, but I think this, this is a key thing that we need to be aware of is that that has so radically shaped our modern world, particularly in the West, and the way that we view things is that we view human relationships primarily transactionally, um, even within, this is somewhat of a different topic, but even within the church, like our relationship with Jesus, this is something that's been decried many times, it, it gets turned into a transactional thing when we think about, okay, I say a prayer, in return, Jesus gives me salvation, then I get to go to heaven. So it becomes this transactional thing. Um, when if we were to return to a uh, relational anthropology that's built off of an understanding of our primary identity as human beings is that we are created in the image of God, who's a Trinitarian God, who is defined by his relationship to himself as Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Um, right? A father is a relational term. You can't have a father without having a relationship with a son. Um, so out of that is what we're created as human beings. And then we are, if we look at the world through those lenses, saying relationally, I am I'm defined by the relationships I have, the connections I have. Um, that's a totally different conversation when it comes to politics. You were thinking about, which is kind of what you're talking along the lines within the kingdom of God is saying, I'm looking at these other people and saying, what does it mean to relate to them in love? Um, whether that is for my benefit or not, um, we're called as followers of Jesus, right? Great commandment love your neighbor as yourself. Um, both political, major political parties in our country would say our primary, that's what we do best. We love our neighbor as ourselves. Um, they might use different language around it, um, but I would argue neither are actually doing that. They're prioritizing whatever their agenda is and saying, this is what we want to have happen. Everyone else should come along with us. Um, so on a on a personal level, I mean, I think it's so critical for us if we're going to be followers of Jesus to separate and step back from politics for a moment and say, hey, what, what's the lens I'm looking through things with? Because um, Jesus even, he explicitly and very intentionally avoids politics. Uh, he, avoid, he has multiple opportunities to kind of take the crowd that he has and say, all right, guys, we got, we got energy, we got you know, passion, let's start this revolution, let's overthrow this Roman oppression, this terrible leadership that's here and holding you know, God's people under the thumb of the political you know, establishment, let's overthrow it and bring about the kingdom of God. But time and again, you read through the Gospels, Jesus he disappears out of the picture. He says stuff to get people to leave. Um, he does weird things. He avoids being in places where there's large crowds that he know are going to be um, excited and ready to overthrow. Um, and he comes before Pontius Pilate and Pilate says, okay, if you're a king, where are your people? You know? And Jesus says, well, my kingdom's not of this world. So th th this is the challenge, right? Talking about the kingdom of God is that it's something radically different than what we think a kingdom looks like. Um, 
and that's some like in some ways i think the the church as our culture gets more and more secularized in some ways i think christianity is going to be more and more posed to be effective um whereas the you know the general um republican more conservative messaging is we need to get back to a christian whatever generally if you look at how how that language is used it's generally not particularly doesn't fully align with Christian ideals, but we need to get back to what it used to be like when we had a Christian society. Um, and I mean, one, you look historically early America, there was, I don't have exact numbers, but it was not a Christian society. Yes. Many of the founding fathers were followers of Jesus. Um, anyways, the, our hope is in a totally different kind of kingdom than a worldly kingdom. Um, and we need to come at it like that despite the fact that there's so much pressure in our world to say we must have a kingdom here. Yeah, no, I mean, that's, that's a, that's super, super powerful. And it's a, it's a great way to kind of move towards the end of our podcast today, because what you're saying is it's something that I've really been learning a lot more about lately, which is this, the, the, the theme of the kingdom of God and, and what it meant. Cause like, mm-hmm. Like you said, like he was avoiding those political conversations and he was avoiding those revolutionary things. But at the same time, he did overthrow the forces of this world and he did start a revolution and he did establish a new kingdom. But he just did it in a way that was so opposite of what everybody expected and was Mm -hmm. looking for. And by establishing his kingdom in a way that's the opposite of what people expected, meaning, as people were looking to him to free the, you know, bring freedom to the Jewish people by yep. force. Instead, he did it through death. He yep. did it through sacrifice on a cross, the most mm-hmm. humil- humiliating death. Yep. He did it through becoming a servant. And so he established a kingdom that operates completely differently because it operates under those principles of the way to achieve victory is not through domination, but through sacrificial love, through servanthood. Mm -hmm. And so maybe that's part of what we're trying to get at as we kind of grasp at this conversation is like, man, if we can just be transformed by Jesus to have that viewpoint when we look around the world of, hey, my kingdom isn't one that operates out of needing to win or wanting to win my kingdom is a kingdom that operates out of giving up personal Mm -hmm. wins and instead serving the greater win you know and instead serving other people winning by experiencing what they were made for you know experiencing who they were made from and by um and i think what what's really interesting is you bring that that marxism component of the conversation i know very little about marxism but it's just something that's really been new to my life in the last maybe year year and a half is just just starting to to learn about some of the history between the early church and now mm-hmm. and how that's influenced our present philosophy and what I'm, what I've realized through that, and there's so much more there for me to learn, like it's insane, 
I'm just at the start of that. But what I'm coming to the conclusion of is that Western Christianity, we sometimes just assume is what Christianity is. Yeah. But sometimes it can be more Western than it can be Christian. Mm-hmm. And when we look at the early church and then we look at how those ideas transformed at different times and how different philosophies came into play and, and led us to where we are today, it just kind of helps us to break out of that shell a little bit and to think a little, like to open our minds a little more and to think a little bit differently and yeah. go, wait a second, some of the assumptions I have about what Christianity is all about, about what philosophies and values Christians are meant to have, they didn't actually come from Jesus or from the early church. I'm realizing that was actually introduced here and it kind of, it kind of shifted things in this way. And, you know, and it it just kind of gets you thinking and it gets you moving back to the core of like, okay, what, what actually happened and, you know, the, at the beginning instead of, you know, are, are my philosophies coming from Jesus and the movement he started or are they potentially without me even realizing it with me with the best intentions mm-hmm. are my philosophy is based on things that were actually introduced at a much later date and may or may not be 100% accurate. Yeah. yeah. I think that a good decision-making thing that I th- I'd say applies equally as well to politics as it does to personal life decisions and something that I've leveraged probably thousands of times over the years. Um, there's a verse in Hebrews. I forget what the exact verse is, the reference of it, but it says anything that does not come from faith is sin, um, which man talk about a radical redefinition of faith or of, fe- of what sin is. You know, usually we think of sin as like breaking the rules or something like that, but you can say anything that does not come from faith is sin. Um, so the decision-making kind of framework that I've used a lot over the years is okay. Am I making this choice out of fear or out of faith? Um, if it's out of fear, it's probably wrong. It's probably going against what God would call me to do. If it's out of faith, it's probably not, you know, some, and there's, this isn't a perfect framework, but it's very helpful to think through. So I think when we come to politics and when you, if you're listening to this or coming to you wrestling with like, like I am personally saying, okay, who do I vote for? Um, do I vote? We have the option to not vote, but right. that's a, that's a vote of its own. Um, do I vote for Republican? Do I vote for Democrats? Do I vote for a different party that's probably not going to win, but I may feel less bad about? I don't know. Um, but this is the framework that I think we should leverage is saying, okay, am I making this vote out of fear or am I making this vote out of faith? Wow. Um, you can make the same decision, like two different people could make the exact same decision. Um, one could vote for Joe, they could both vote for Joe Biden. They could bo- vote, both vote for Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Um, one could be doing it out of fear. One could be doing it out of faith. Yeah. Um, and this, this is my personal conviction. I don't think, um, I don't think God's going to be like, Ooh, you voted for that guy. How could you like, that's a mark against you in my book because one ultimately, right. The marks were born by Jesus, mm-hmm. um, not by us. So I think like there's this, if you're, if you have, if you're communicating to people or hearing other people communicating to you that if you really follow Jesus, you need to vote for this person. Yeah. That's probably wrong <laughs> um, because reality is the, our political parties, our political system doesn't, every country in the world has a broken and messed up and sinful political system. Right. We just get to participate in our political system. Um, and 
all the choices are bad choices compared to Jesus. Like you don't, you can't, you're not going to find the political, you know, person who is like, yes, they're going to solve my problems and they did nothing immoral and all of their views align with, you know, what Jesus would do. Because the reality is the political system doesn't work that way. You don't get into politics. Um, you don't become, you know, president or senator um, by 100% like walking in Jesus's footsteps. That's Please don't hear me saying that everyone who's in government is <laughs> not there because of the will of God. I, I think there are Christians who are called to politics, but right. the reality is that system is set up in a way that um, in a lot of ways works contrary to how Jesus lived his life. Um, all that to say, I think we get to vote according to our conscience. Fear versus faith is going to be a helpful decision-making framework for people, I think, this this fall. Dude, I love that. I love that. That's exactly how we're going to end. I'm just going to go ahead and just summarize what you just said. And then everybody's just going to go vote based on <laughs> the Ben Pontius model of decision-making, which is really just Ben explaining yeah. the biblical model yeah. of decision-making. After, after doing your research about the candidates, which is still on my to-do list. <laughs> yeah. And by the way, Ben, you have somebody you wanted to endorse today. Just tell everyone. Yeah. No. Okay. Uh, Phil, Phil Collins. <laughs> Phil Collins. Okay. But basically this is what I'm, this is what I'm hearing. And this is just me summarizing what I love about what, that, what you're sharing, which is if we have our hope and our trust and our confidence in the right place, then we can approach the election and engage in politics in a way that is based on looking to the future with faith and hope and seeing how we can be a influence in our society in a positive way instead of looking to the election out of fear and, and concern and voting for somebody because you're worried about what will happen, you know, if you don't. Yeah. And I think that that's a powerful way to look at it. We don't ignore politics because we have an opportunity with politics mm -hmm. for it to be a part of what we're doing as a part of our kingdom experience. Yeah but we don't let politics drive because Amen. that's it's not a drunk our driver. It's a bad driver. <laughs> Can you imagine going on a road trip and letting politics drive? <laughs> We'd be all over the place. We'd be man. all over the We'd place. Going left and then right. And left <laughs> exactly. <and> right. <laughs> <laughs> One thing I know is we would very rarely stay in the middle of the road, yeah. but <laughs> anyway, on the road. <laughs> um, man, thank you guys so much for listening. Thank you, Ben, for yeah, sharing um, your thoughts and your wisdom with us. It was really a joy having this conversation. Yeah. Um, and I hope we have another chance to talk about something else someday. Cause uh, I'm sure we will. Somehow I have a feeling there's lots more we could talk about. <laughs> yes, sir.